This is DebtWire Managing Editor Andrew Ragsley, and you're listening to Episode 10 of our DebtWired series. You're about to hear Deputy Editor Reshmi Basu's conversation with Lisa Stewart. Lisa is Principal in Charge of Eisner Amper's Center for Individual and Organizational Performance and the Center for Family Business Excellence Group. Both operations are within Eisner Amper's private business services practice. Now, Lisa draws from her experience in organizational development, strategic planning and training, and human performance management. So as you can imagine, our talk with her is quite wide ranging on a number of key topics. We go over the issue of CEO change from an internal and external perspective, how those changes can impact loyalty and production for companies. Relatedly, the discussion moves to advice she gives to private equity when they're taking over certain companies. For good measure, Lisa also weighs in on the trend of ESG investing and the state of the New York business community as we readjust and move to reopening out of the pandemic. Lisa, thank you so much for being here today. Can you tell us about yourself and what the Center for Individual and Organized organizational performance that Eisner Ampner caters to? My name is Lisa Stewart, and I'm the principal in charge of the Center for Individual and Organizational Performance. So my background is in organizational psychology, and I have been working with companies of all of all sort of uh, shapes and sizes, of all stripes, I guess, for about 35 years. And we do a lot of work with organizations where there's a significant transition in leadership or ownership. And so, you know, many of the things that we talk about and that we work with our clients on is how do we make that transition as successful and effective as possible? How do we build strong and loyal workforces? How do we help companies to thrive? And I have to say, after 35 years, I still love doing this every single day. Using Amazon as an example, Jeff Bezos announced he was stepping down as CEO. How do you foresee that exit and the selection of Andy Jassy as his replacement? But what kind of interruptions can occur with a new team? And can talk about some of your experience with CEO changes. I've been reading the articles just like everybody else out there. And, you know, uh, Jeff Bezos sort of handpicked his replacement, which I think is, um, he's very fortunate to be able to do that because Andy Jassy's been working with with Jeff Bezos for many, many years. They're kind of two peas in a pod. This allows um, Jeff Bezos to really design the next phase of his own career, do the sorts of things that he likes. You might have noticed in some of the articles that he's not stepping away completely. He's going to remain in an executive position. And again, you know, Andy Jassy's, um, he is a known quantity. So there's a couple advantages of being able to do that. One, it means that the rest of the organization isn't probably in for any really big surprises. They already know Andy, they know his style, they know the things that are important. Even if he does want to make some significant changes with the company over time, chances are people are aware of, of the way he might go about doing that and, and what he may be thinking. So usually in that case, there's not as nearly as much disruption. And of course, as I said, you know, um, uh, Jeff Bezos handpicked him. So there's, there's a reason for doing that. And I would imagine that it's because he knows that Andy Jassy is going to be running the company in much the same way that he would have done had he stayed there. It's sort of a unique position. Not all companies have the opportunity to be able to do that. You know, a lot of times, 
you know, particularly if a company is still privately held, maybe it's even family owned, um, they may not have a successor internally in the organization that's just the right fit for the next stage or the future of that company. So, you know, we generally see a couple of different scenarios. If there is a good successor and they've been able to groom that successor over a long period of time, that person really understands the employees and the organizational culture. They sort of understand the vision, the direction, and what the strengths of the company are. And then generally, there's not a lot of disruption right away. They tend to take things, the changes, just a little bit more slowly. On the other hand, if you bring in a new CEO, new leadership from the outside, sometimes they don't take the time to really get to understand the company, the people, the culture, the values, all those things that create that sort of sense of stability and, and organizational loyalty. So we usually counsel our new CEOs coming in to take it a little slowly, get to know the organization before you start making a lot of changes. What are the risks or benefits associated with the placement of internal CEO versus a company outsider? Well, if you've got somebody from the inside, and at least if they're smart, they'll know to, as I said earlier, take things a little bit slowly when they start to make changes. So if you have an insider and they've spent plenty of time in the company, some of the benefits of that is that they understand what's made the company successful to date. And they probably also really understand what the weaknesses in that business are. So, um, and they've probably already got some connection with other leaders in the organization. They know the employees, we hope, and they're able to build upon those strengths and uh, understand really how they're going to leverage the organizational culture. And even if they really want to make some specific changes, they may have a better idea about how to go about that and maintain that internal you know, uh, employee loyalty, which I think is, is very important. On the other hand, sometimes when you choose somebody from the inside, you're really, you may not get the changes that are going to be vitally important for the long-term success of that business. And sometimes it's just kind of status quo, business as usual. They just carry on from the founder. The other thing that we sometimes find is that retiring or transitioning leaders, when they handpick somebody from inside the organization, a little bit like Jeff Bezos has done, is that they pick a mini-me, somebody who's going to do things just as they have done things. And that's not always in the best interest of the business. Now, somebody coming in from the outside, well, they've got a long haul because they've got to take the time to get to know the business. They have to understand who are the key players, how are decisions made, what's the organizational culture like, what are some of the internal rituals and protocols? And a lot of times those protocols are not necessarily written down. They may not even be talked about, but they still happen. And a new leader needs to take the time to, to see and to understand what is really happening. If people come in and they try to make changes occur too quickly, that really does break down that organizational loyalty. Whenever we've worked with a company and they're making a decision to bring in somebody from the outside, we know that employees, sometimes they become very wary. They're fearful that there's going to be maybe perhaps layoffs or just really significant changes in the way in which business is, is done. And they don't know what to expect. And so when people are wary, fearful, concerned, 
frustrated, confused, all of those emotions make it harder for people to be truly productive. And so sometimes when new leadership comes in, productivity in the company actually drops off. Well, we want to try to avoid that if possible. So there are a lot of key steps that we recommend that new outside CEOs or senior leaders undertake in order to try to make sure that that drop in productivity doesn't occur. Can you talk about organizational loyalty and how a change in leadership may impact the morale or efficiency or even productivity of employees? When our our employees are unsure, when they don't know what's going on, when they're fearful of that change, um, that's an emotional reaction. And when people are discombobulated, sometimes it just makes it hard to get our work done. So new leaders coming in and in any organization that's undergoing a lot of change, they need to take the time to get the employees on board. So by that, I mean that Um, We would normally say, uh, first of all, be very clear about your intentions. Let's say you're a new CEO coming into a company. Uh, Take the time to get to know people, walk around the facility, understand what people do, learn a little bit about that organizational culture, ask questions, and make sure you're a really good listener. Then be sure to share with everybody in the company What are your values? What are your plans for the future? What are you hoping to do? And how are you going to go about it? Also answer this question. How are your proposed changes going to impact the everyday lives of people who work in that business? Have you thought about those impacts? Can you talk to them? Can you assure the people in the company that you're trying to see these changes from their perspective? And also just acknowledge that change is not easy and it's certainly not easy for the people that are going to be employing that change, who are going to be really doing the work that's going to be changed. So we need to make sure that we're clear and transparent about what's going on. Also make sure that you've got some way of gathering feedback from your employees across the board so that they feel like they've got a voice at the table, that they're part of that process. We also know that employees are more likely to remain loyal to a company when they believe that one, they have some control over their own destiny, and two, that they believe that the company values them, right? That what they do is really important. And sometimes new leadership coming into an organization doesn't take the time to understand how people add value to the company. So they're not even able to give that feedback. So I think that that's that's really very important. it's interesting. We know that in companies where there's a lot of you know, stability, predictability, there are rituals in place that people know and understand, even if they're not great rituals, even if that sort of predictability isn't perfect, you know, even if a leader may not be that skilled, because people know and understand it, it's kind of like the devil that you know, they're more likely to remain loyal and to stay in those positions. Even if you bring in an an outside leader that's great, that feeling of the unknown quantity and the lack of personal control over that change can still impact people's loyalty. And you may find that talent starts to leave the company if we don't take the time to really help our new CEOs to explain the way in which they're going to lead. What has been your experience with private equity firms? and how their strategy to grow the bottom line may impact employees. 
unfortunately, sometimes new investors in companies, they just move too quickly. I mean, we know that a lot of times this investment opportunity is undertaken because they can see that if they could make these particular changes, the company could become more profitable fairly quickly. So they move right in. Sometimes they'll take out or, you know, let go the current members of the leadership team and bring in their own people and so on. As soon as that happens, I can assure you that people are really scared. They're, they're nervous. They don't know what's happening. Um, many will seek out jobs or some may seek out jobs elsewhere just because they don't like the turmoil and they don't like the sense of the unknown. So when we're working with private equity groups and helping them to invest in a new business, we go back to the basics is just what I was saying is get to know the company, figure out what it is that you really need to do, understand the people. And as you're going to introduce these changes, keep people apprised, let, let them know how you're doing this, why you're doing this, what the results are going to be. Particularly if, if as an investor, you really believe that what you're going to do in that company is going to increase profitability and in turn allow you to invest more in the business to help to um, make people's jobs easier, introduce some automation that improves quality, the quality of the job, etc. Let people know, let them know what are some of the benefits of some of the things that you're doing. Uh, again, it's about communication and transparency. And unfortunately, a lot of times when investors come into the business, they forget about the impact on the employees. And that's what um, really seems to slow down that productivity and um, decrease the loyalty to the business. So what advice are you then giving to private equity sponsors and what questions are they asking you? It's interesting. Right now, we have um, a number of investors who are looking to invest in privately held, you know, primarily family-owned businesses. And one of the questions we often get is, how should we decide whether or not to keep the people that are there, particularly when they may be family members? And, you know, depending on the level of investment, whether they're majority owners now or, or not, it, there's a lot of um, uh, sort of questions to be asked about the right way to do this. So we work with our um, investors and help them to understand what are the key competencies that they're really going to need in the job in order to be able to achieve the strategic goals that they have in mind. We'll talk a little bit about the importance of setting expectations at a realistic level. We need to set the expectations of the board. You know, sometimes in these privately held companies, they may not have had a board. And so therefore the private equity firm is, is setting that up with them. Well, how do you set up a really good board, a board that understands the key elements of change management and can help to guide the company strategically and help them to make really sound and wise decisions that work both for the benefit of the new investors, but also for the benefit of the company as a whole. Uh, you know, we'll sometimes help investors to understand what is that organizational culture? How are some of the best ways or in what ways can they begin to change that culture in order to have a greater focus perhaps on results and a greater focus on product, productivity and, and profitability, while not necessarily sacrificing the good relationships that you have with your customers, with your suppliers, and most importantly, with those employees that are out there on the floor that are actually doing the job. 
So we help our investors to understand how to make that transition, sometimes understand how to work with the existing management teams, some of whom may still be majority or minority owners in the company. So managing those relationships is important. And again, managing those expectations of everybody is also important. We know that when expectations are not met, it tends to create a de decrease in trust. And it, when trust is low, that's where you find that conflict is much more likely to arise. What new challenges has COVID introduced, such as layoffs, consolidation, or changes in the way we work? Actually, there's a lot of changes in there because uh, in the beginning, when COVID first hit and people were all of a sudden finding themselves working from home, I think that there was so much uncertainty and fear. Nobody knew really what was going to happen and, and what this might look like. So I know that it was a, you know, it was such a difficult time. It's difficult for us. It was difficult for many of the clients that we work with. Now, I think that people have started to get into more of a routine. They're starting to see some, you know, light at the end of the tunnel. But, you know, we've also learned a lot about ourselves. I think as individuals, as employees, as workers, and also as business owners, we've all learned a little bit more about ourselves, our fellow uh, employees, and about what helps our businesses to run. You know, before COVID started, we worked with companies that said there is no way that they're going to have any employees working from home. There was a belief that if people work from home, they're just not going to be as effective. You know, they're going to be hanging out in their pajamas and spending a lot of time watching videos and eating cereal. So, you know, they just didn't think that they are really going to be good workers if they are working from that environment. Well, the reality is, is that in, um, people working from home, there's often an increase in productivity. In fact, some studies have shown it's between 10 and 13 percent increase in productivities. They tend to be uh, take less sick time and actually spend more hours working. And, in, and so in reality, what we've had to do is to deal with burnout, people working too long and not being able to escape their computers or escape you know, their home offices. So. I've seen um, a number of changes that I actually think are fairly healthy. One is I think leaders, owners, senior executives have become more compassionate and understanding because we're all in this together. They've had to work from home as well. So I think that people have found that and you know they can actually be uh, kinder, gentler, and we've changed some of our expectations of others. So I think that that's been important. I think that those of us who are working from home have also learned how to manage our time differently. We've started to learn more about the importance of connecting with our colleagues and reaching out and taking the time to listen and understand what's going on for them. We lost water cooler time. Water cooler time is that, you know, when you're sort of walking through the halls of your office and you're taking the time to shoot the breeze and ask some questions and find out what people did on the weekend. Well, when we work from home in a virtual environment, we don't tend to do that. And we know we need it. There are a lot of people who need that social and emotional connection from having colleagues in the workplace. So for many um, of our, our business leaders and business owners and key executives, we're learning how to navigate that and doing a better job. So we've learned new ways of connecting with, with our employees. And so I think that that's been really very positive. So I think as things are starting to settle down, um, I think, I believe, and I, we're already seeing it, that workplaces will become more flexible. You'll have greater options as to whether or not you work from the office or you work from home. And we may see that there's sort of a combination of that, of both. 
I think that leaders in companies are starting to ask their employees, in what environment do you work best? And how can we support you in creating that environment? What do you need in order to be the best and most productive person possible? And I think that that's all, that's all really very, very positive. I think that many business owners now are starting to rethink the physical environments of their workplaces. Um, how do they create more collaborative spaces for people to come together? How do they encourage more of that water cooler conversation and make sure that people maybe have spaces where they are connecting with others and yet there's also those, those quiet, quiet spaces in which to work. So uh, while the change in the beginning was very difficult, I have a strong belief that some of the outcomes for this, for all of us in the working world, may end up to be fairly positive from an organizational structural perspective. As more companies adopt a corporate social responsibility platform, what impact is that having on appetite for corporate buyouts or investing? No, I think this is really interesting. I'm sure you've probably noticed that uh, language around ESG, which is environmental, social, and governance, and also corporate social responsibility, CSR, it is all over the press. This is such a hot topic right now. And so what we're finding is that many of the companies that we work with are saying, how do we become better corporate citizens, right? So what do we do in order to ensure that we're taking care of our employees, that we're paying attention to diversity, equity, and inclusion, that we are contributing to our local communities, and that we understand our global impact. And they're wanting to do this because one, they want to work for the greater good. It's important to them on a really a philosophical and a values-based position. And also because it's important to their employees. You know, many of our companies are saying that if we're going to attract the best and the brightest, particularly our younger people coming into the organization, this matters. These are the things that they're looking for. So as an organization, we have to be paying attention to this. And now we're finding that more investors are also paying attention to this. I was working with an, an investor just recently, and he said that he's working on behalf of a family office, and he's been given clear instructions that they want to find socially responsible companies that are looking for an investment partnership. And so he was asking me, you know, do we have connections? You know, who might we introduce him to? And I was thrilled to say we have plenty. <laughs> you know, um, I think that uh, as this becomes more important, our investors are saying, not only do we want introductions to companies that are truly paying attention to corporate social responsibility and have programs in place, but that they can verify that this is true, that they're perhaps using international standards to um, identify some of the things that they're doing. They've got some metrics in place that really illustrate some of their efforts and that they're working on things across the board. This may be their community and charitable giving. This may be the way in which they are paying attention to their hiring and um, their recruitment practices. It may be um, some of their values and philosophy around diversity and inclusion and what some of those, how they, those practices play out in, in the workplace and on and on and on. Investors want to know how people are verifying this. What does this look like? What are the outcomes? What is this doing in the business? And companies are saying, how can we become better corporate citizens? And this is not going to go away. This is something that more and more companies need to be paying attention to. It's only going to become more important. Who are now the targets for private equity? 
I think it's kind of across the board, but we are seeing more um, private equity investors in general uh, taking a serious interest in family-owned businesses. And what's interesting about that is we're seeing more investors who say, look, we're here for the long haul. We're not just coming in to purchase the majority ownership in a business, tidy it up a little bit and flip it. Or it, um, you know, some of the, the practices of many years past where it was just to align their debt and flip or close the company. Instead, we're seeing more investors saying that they want to invest for the next 10, 20 years and beyond. They're really looking for companies that have the potential to grow. They want to invest in the family ownership. So they want to be good partners to that family ownership. And they want to be able to help to guide through the use of an effective board. They want to be able to invest in, in equipment and other resources that are going to help that business to grow. And some private equity firms are actually saying, look, we could be good business mentors. And we're looking forward to the opportunity to do that. We believe that family businesses are really the backbone of our nation's economy. They're very important to their local communities. And we want to be part of that bigger picture. From my perspective, you know, um, uh, from an organizational psychology perspective, that is just music to my ears. We want to see more of these really healthy um, investment relationships and where our investors see it as a relationship and where our family owners see it as a relationship. We're also seeing investors continuing to take an interest in younger entrepreneurs. But again, uh, it's a little bit different. And by that, I mean that it's not just throwing cash at, say, high tech ventures, but rather investing in young entrepreneurs, putting together mentorship programs, helping to build effective boards, helping to see what sort of resources are going to be necessary, not just throwing cash at and waiting for some sort of big 10x return in three to five years, but rather taking a longer view of the company and trying to figure out what's going to be the best way to help this business to grow, to perhaps hire great talent and make sure that it's going to be around for a while. And again, from my perspective, that's really uh, encouraging. What should investors look for when a new management team is announced? Well, I think that, you know, when investors are coming into an organization and bringing uh, a management team or maybe bringing some key leaders, I think it's so important to talk about the reporting structure. So that means that the people who are left in the company, who were with the company previously, they're going to want to know how do they work with these new leaders, this new management team? How do they work with this, these investors? What's the board going to look like? What are going to be the expectations of the board? Um, I was just recently working with a company that was started by two young entrepreneurs. They built it into a very successful business. And now they are entertaining private equity and they have a board, but it's a it's a very small board. I'm going to say it's more like a friends and family board. And they know that if they develop this relationship um, with this investor, that this board is going to become professionalized. Right. So that you're going to have um, executives uh, on the on that board. And so the questions that we're getting is, what does that look like? Like and what kinds of reports are they going to want from us? How much? interaction are they going to want? At what stage and in what ways does this new management team actually call the shots? 
What's going to happen to our jobs? What's that going to look like? We've got some great people in sales and, and marketing. Are they going to change their roles? Um, in what direction are we going to be moving? And on and on. So I always think that it's important that we sit down at the table and talk about those, those details of the relationship itself. You know, when private equity comes in, when, when an investor invests in your business, it's a little bit like a marriage if it's going to work well, right? And you want to really understand what your long-term expectations of each other are. How are you going to do this dance together? All too often, people ignore the interpersonal and the relationship aspects of this. They see it more as a transaction. It's a financial transaction. You give me money, I'll give you shares, and you know the company will be fine in, in three to five years, and maybe you sell it. That's not how it works out. When people come in and they invest in your business, they have expectations of performance and you have expectations of them. So if you've been a leader in your own company, you're used to making those decisions, you're used to being able to develop the strategic vision of the organization and so on, it's your baby. And when somebody else comes in and starts messing with your baby because they don't like the way your baby looks, it's a very emotional, deeply personal thing that's going on. So sitting down at the table and understanding the expectations of performance, you know, how, how are you going to give each other feedback? How are you going to talk about how things are going? Um, and, you know, kind of come up with a list of all the attributes or all the behaviors of each other that would drive you crazy. A lot of times I've seen uh, owners of companies leave money on the table because they left too early. They left because they couldn't stand the new relationship. I hate to see that happen. So I think that when you're looking at a new management structure, a new way of doing things because you've got investors, think about the relationship as much as you think about the transaction. What is your advice to management teams and to investors regarding the workplace of the future? Well, I think that, as I said earlier, it's all about flexibility. Our workplaces are changing and the expectations, particularly of our younger workforce, is definitely changing. They don't expect to work the traditional nine to five as many of us in my age group have. Um, they really appreciate the opportunity to sometimes um, decide their own hours. They're looking for an opportunity to grow within that organization. And they're, they want to have a voice at the table. I also think that when new management comes in, making sure that everybody in the company understands the, the roles, the responsibilities, and the chain of command, the communication up and down throughout that, that organization. I think that that's going to be, that's going to be key. I think when it comes to building employee loyalty and their commitment, I think that employees want to know. They want some level of that predictability that I was mentioning earlier. They want to know what the organizational culture is. They want to know what are the values of leadership and how are those values going to be espoused? How is leadership going to walk the talk? When I'm working with a new CEO coming in, we'll often sit down and work through what their values are. So let's say, for example, that they value transparency, they value diversity, they value commitment to the community, and so on. How are they gonna how are they gonna live those values? And how are they gonna talk to their employees about it? 
I was working with a, a new CEO actually not too long ago. He came into a company, he had worked in the company very, for a very short time before the owner had a health crisis and really needed to be able to leave. So um, he took over much earlier than he thought. And what was interesting here is as we were working with um, his list of values, having a very respectful workplace was key to him. He believed that the way in which you engender loyalty and ensure that people feel um, uh, valued is that you treat them with respect. However, the previous CEO had had a very strong personality and it was not uncommon for him to sort of walk the halls of the business, raise his voice and tell people that they were doing a terrible job if he was unhappy with their productivity. This new CEO had no intention of doing that. But unfortunately, other leaders in the company had learned from the previous CEO and they were sort of acting like this. So one of the first things our new leader did is he gathered up all of his senior management team and told them that his way of doing business was going to be different. I can't help but compare this to some of the things that our new president has also been saying, but this happened prior to that. And he said that um, in his business, uh, there would be no shouting that people would be treated with respect and this is what that looked like. And so, and, and he talked about for himself, how he was going to walk the talk, what this meant for him to be thoughtful and respectful to, for others, even when he was requesting a change in behavior. So he talked about what from his perspective uh, constitutes you know, constructive feedback. So I, I think that that's really important. People need to know what to, to expect. The other thing that employees want to know is that they are adding value and how can they know that they're adding value if there aren't good, clear metrics and if they don't, aren't given the opportunity to talk about their work or to make process improvements if they see them. So I think that just putting in place some opportunities for people to feel like they are, they're really involved and that the workplace is stable, it's predictable. There are rituals that make sense. They understand the values and they understand the culture. Lisa, thank you so much for being with us today and for providing us with such an insightful conversation. We have so many owners today that are transitioning out of their businesses. We've all heard about the, the retiring baby boomers and the giant silver tsunami. We're seeing a lot of change in, in leadership and ownership. So I think that the things that we touched on today are going to be really important. And I, I hope it's just the beginning of a conversation. So thank you. Thank you for listening to DebtWired. Please be sure to engage with our content with a like, share, leave a comment or repost, and follow DebtWire on social media.